0: What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus 24-7? Is it just following the rules? In a previous study, we looked at where Jesus told his disciples that they could show that they love him by keeping his commands. But we know that outwardly, whatever the socially accepted commands are, if you keep them to the letter, you can still be a really rotten person and a long way from being described as a disciple of Jesus. Hi, I'm Yvonne Pren, and welcome to Bible 805. Though we don't usually think of Psalms as a book on discipleship, we'll find it has a lot to teach us in this podcast that I've titled, An Overview of Psalms, How to Be a Growing Disciple of Jesus 24-7, No Matter How Crazy Your World Is. Let's explore how discipleship and the Psalms fit together. First of all, I'd like to give you an expanded definition of discipleship. Though keeping the commands is obviously a good start, And that means for many people, number one, you make a decision to trust Jesus as Savior. And sadly, most people do that so that they won't go to hell. That's the primary reason. You go to church once a week. You read your Bible every now and then, maybe short passages and devotionals, or it's limited to what you hear at church. And you tithe, and you don't do anything illegal. Now, for many people, that's all that discipleship involves for the average person. Now, for the really serious people, maybe they do things, like you're doing on this that I'm recommending on the podcast where you actually read your Bible and you read through the whole thing and you study it and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of people, they just don't like to even think about doing more than just the basics because they're so busy. But that's not really discipleship. I've learned some new things reading Dallas Willard recently and I've been going through a book of his, Hearing God, that I highly, highly recommend. And in it, he talks about some things on discipleship that I hadn't really thought of before. I'm going to give you a quote on that. But first of all, I want to give you a quote on something I just read of his online. And by the way, the links and citations and all that are on the website at www.bible805.com. But um, let me just read you this quote from him. He said, we need to be clear in our heads about what discipleship is. Here's my definition. A disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. A disciple is not a person who has things under control or knows a lot of things. Disciples are simply people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. I just love that, how constantly adjusting all of life to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. That's discipleship 24-7, and the Psalms are going to help us see exactly what this means and how it's possible. Another related comment from Dallas Willard that I think you might find encouraging, he says, The final and complete blessing and ultimate good, the sunum bonum of humankind, comes to those whose lives are absorbed in the way of Christ. Life in the presence of God. You see, we do this not to make ourselves miserable or the, these these horrible things or denial or whatever. This is life absorbed in the presence of God. It's lived in the presence of God. And just think about that. If you were really conscious going through the day, I've been asking the Lord to remind me that I am living before Him. I am His child. I am his representative to the world. That can make a big difference. Now this all-pervasive definition of discipleship, and, and we're getting to the Psalms, I'm just kind of setting this up so it'll, it'll be in context, that really is the same sort of thing that God shared with us when he said in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, that the greatest command was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In the Message Translation, it puts it like this, Love Him with all that's in you. Love Him with all you've got. And then, of course, Jesus repeated and added to it in the New Testament, where He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Again, the Message Translation puts it this way, Love the Lord your God with all your passion, prayer, and intelligence. Now, no matter how it's worded, we're supposed to love God with every part of us. It isn't just our our minds sometimes in uh, especially with a lot of people knowing the Bible or knowing about God or being a disciple it's all this stuff you know and that isn't it it involves all of us yes we need to learn things we need to study but there's so much more to it and that's what Psalms are going to teach us I'm doing this special lesson on them because you're going to be reading them in bits and pieces on our reading through the Bible because they're interspersed with and uh, 2 Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. And although they're helpful and enjoyable reading it that way, some of them can be confusing. And as you, as I often say, I don't want you to just read them and misinterpret them and apply them incorrectly. In another podcast, and I've got the link on Bible805.com, I talked about how it's not always about you, how to correctly read and apply Bible stories. And I want to do sort of the same thing with Psalms, just to give you some ideas on how to read them correctly. Now, first of all, some overall facts on Psalms. Then I will get into the types of Psalms, some different examples, and how each of them, some good applications, I hope, that they can teach us how to walk with God in our everyday lives. One of the first things, as we discuss the overall structure and kind of an overview of Psalms, is their poems. That's not a newsflash to many people, but they are poetry, and they're specifically poetry set to music. Now, music and poetry can be kind of difficult when we take into consideration different cultures. For example, language can be a real barrier. Psalm 119 was written as an acrostic, which, what that means is every letter, of the different sections corresponds to a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Because of that it would have made it easy for or easier, that's a long psalm, uh, for the people to remember it, to memorize it. Of course, we're not reading it most of us in Hebrew, so that doesn't really help us a lot. Also we call it poet, we call them poetry, but it's a different kind of poetry than a lot of people are familiar with, particularly in America. We have a lot of poetry that rhymes and the psalms don't rhyme. They use parallelism and different, uh, different techniques, which really isn't all that important for you to remember. But uh, just think of them as song lyrics. I think that helps, helps people a lot. Music too, just music itself, um, the melody is very different. For different cultures, what our ear is used to hearing. I thought about playing some of the psalms that were sung for you on this podcast, and maybe even in my Sunday school class, and then I listened to some of them online, and I thought, I don't like how they sound. Um, And now that's just maybe me, but just the... uh, being sung in their original way just was not pleasing to my ear. Now, my preference has absolutely nothing to do with the value of them, but the melody isn't what's important. And the thing that is so neat about all of them is the ultimate poet was God. And so, regardless of if there are some minor things in in language or that we don't understand in the type of poetry or the melody, psalms still deeply deeply resonate with us and speak to our hearts because God created the human heart and his understanding of course transcends all boundaries, all cultures. Now let's talk a little bit more specific about some of the things about Psalms. The Psalms uh, on the authors, David wrote the most of them. He actually wrote 73 of them. Moses wrote one. Solomon wrote either one or two of them. One was written by a name, a man named Heman, one by Ethan, twelve by Asap, and ten by the descendants of Korah. Now the time span is what's interesting on when these were written. One, the earliest ones, of course, if I say Moses wrote one, that was very early on. This is was written the same time the very first books of the Bible were written. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch. Moses, who was the author of these books, also wrote a psalm. He wrote Psalm 90, and I'll read you just a few verses from that. It says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. And then it ends with, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And then some of the psalms we know were written at the very very end of old testament times for example this one psalm 137 says by the waters of babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered zion obviously from a straight historical viewpoint this took place after the Babylonian captivity when the people were remembering it. So, you see, Psalms really covers the entire span of the Old Testament. Now, most of them were written during the time of the Kingdom. David again wrote the majority of them and then some of the singers that he assigned and the schools of singers after that wrote many of the others. The next question would be how did they come together? Most likely an early collection was put together by David. As we see in the book of Chronicles, the later part of David's life was spent in making really detailed preparations for the temple and a large part of his preparations were he did the assignments and the instructions on the music The singers, the instruments, and it would seem obvious that compiling the Psalms would have been part of that. Now, one little parenthesis note on the life of David. His sin with Bathsheba happened when he was in his late 40s or early 50s. We don't know exactly. He died at age 70. He confessed his sin, he was forgiven, he suffered, but we often forget that his most important work in life was really preparing all the things for the temple and for twenty-some years that's what he worked on so all of the last of his life he was working on the Psalms on preparing things for the temple. Then later on, uh, and again, we're not really sure, but perhaps some additional compilations were made in the intervening years by Hezekiah or Josiah. Both of them were kings in Israel who led revivals, and a number of the writers shortly after David lived Created additional Psalms, and of course, David wouldn't have included them in his thing because they wrote slightly after him. So maybe some intervening collections were written. But then the most likely completion time was after the Babylonian exile, and this was when Ezra and his associates were putting together really confirming all of the things that were going to be in the Bible. He wrote the book of Chronicles, going through the entire history of God's people. And so, we do assume that he or his associates were the ones that did the final compilation. Overall, the Psalms are prayers and hymns that are addressed to God and used most frequently in corporate worship in Israel in the past and today. However, they're written by individuals retelling their experiences, their walk, their living with God. It's this part of Scripture that I think in the whole Psalms, what they help us with the most is that they bring every part of human life before God. When they're angry, when they're sad, no matter what it is, God enters in, He helps, He protects, He encourages. Now, there's lots of different ways to divide the Psalms. We're just going to and every commentator that you read they have a different way of dividing them and they're all valid and some of them divide them into really narrow categories but I'm just going to focus on four different divisions I'll tell you a little bit about these I will read a passage or two, and then I'll give you some comments and application. I'm going to talk about Psalms of Praise, Psalms of Lament, Psalms of Salvation History, and what are called Imprecatory Psalms. Those are the ones that we really have problems with because they say really mean things, but we'll, we'll get to them in a minute. One more thing before we get into them. I just realize this is very important, and that is when you are reading and applying the Psalms, you must read the whole psalm. Many of the psalms in each each chapter each, each psalm there are a progression of either an idea of praise or an event or of an emotion that often starts with abject pain or questioning or fear to a very confident and quiet trust in God and praise at the end. But you won't see that unless you read the whole thing. And in some ways, Psalms are just like the book of Job, which, by the way, they're also both what are called wisdom literature in the Bible, in that if you don't read the whole thing, you can easily misinterpret verses in either being very disappointed or having unreal expectations, please do go back and listen to the early on podcast on Job, and I talk about this a lot more. In the book of Job, though, just briefly, you can read all of these outrageous things that Job's friends say, and some of them actually might sound good, but then when you get to the end of the book, you find that God says all of the things that they said are wrong. But you don't know that if you don't read the whole book. And so I don't want you to be confused or to misinterpret or to not expect things properly in the book of Psalms. So always read the entire psalm. Now, I'm going to go over the different psalms. I'm actually, on the first two, I was able to find fairly short ones because I don't want to violate what I just told you in giving you examples of them. But let's look first at psalms of praise and worship. This is Psalm 100. It's one many people are familiar with. many of you may not be, but I'm going to read it to you in the message translation, which is just really quite, uh, well, I like it. Anyway, let me just jump in. It says, on your feet now, applaud God, bring a gift of laughter, sing yourselves into his presence. Know this, God is God, and God, God, he made us. We didn't make him. We're his people, his well. Tended Sheep. Enter with the password. Thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him. Worship him. For God is sheer beauty. All generous in love. Loyal always and forever this is just one example of the many psalms that are just filled with praise and how can we apply that well one thing that i think is really good is sometimes you'll you'll get advice on always start your prayers with praise you know you're supposed to praise god first instead of just jumping in and asking for things and that's probably really good advice but sometimes i'll be thinking well i don't know what to say <laughs> you know it can uh, you know how do you start well go to the Psalms, just read a psalm, sometimes even read it out loud to God. Sing it, make up your own melody, but just really praise God in that way. Also, join in corporate praise. That means go to church, Uh, sing the songs in church. Maybe you're not a fan of all of them, but go ahead and sing them anyway. There is something about praise. Praising God with fellow believers—that is really, really wonderful. And so, in the Psalms, again, remember they were created to be sung corporately. And so, uh, and many of the hymns are based on Psalms. So sing praise in that way. Remind yourself, though, just in your own devotional time of the many things that you can praise God for. Be specific about what God has done for you. You might think about creating a thankfulness journal. Many, even secular psychiatrists, talk about how valuable this is, where every day you write down the things that you are thankful for. And as a Christian, then write down also, thank God for them, because He is the one that has given you everything. We know how disturbing it can be when perhaps we might make something for someone we love. Maybe it's a child, maybe it's a spouse, whoever it might be. And we create this beautiful thing for them and then they don't say thank you that, first of all, hurts our feelings, and also it's rude, and and we could go on and on, but I sometimes think, you know, God must feel the same way. He made this absolutely beautiful world, and we need to thank him for it. When I go out in my little garden, I look at some of the flowers, and I just have to go, Lord, you know, you just did such a good job on this, or you did a phenomenal job on that. I live near the ocean, and it's, it it astounds me. Every time I go by it, I just say, Thank you, Lord. This is so incredibly wonderful. So we want to praise God in the way that the same the same psalms of praise teach us to do that. The next type of psalm are psalms of lament, both personal ones and corporate ones. And <laughs> these, are, these are some of my favorite psalms when I'm really feeling miserable or sad. I love to read these psalms. Somehow it helps knowing that a great man of God David felt the same way. Let me read part of one of them to you, and this is from the New Living Bible. Oh, God, defend me from the charges of these merciless, deceitful men, for you are my God, my only place of refuge. Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I mourn at the oppression of my enemies? Oh, send out your light. And your truth, let them lead me, let them lead me to your temple on your holy mountain Zion. There I will go to the altar of God, my exceeding joy, and praise Him with my harp. O God, my God, O my soul, why be so gloomy and discouraged? Trust in God. I shall again praise Him for His wondrous help. He will make me smile again, for He is my God. Now, this psalm was written, of course, thousands of years ago, but who doesn't have to deal with merciless, deceitful people today? And God is often our only refuge. There's a similar pattern in these songs of lament, where first of all, the psalmist expresses honest discouragement and questions, but the psalm doesn't stop there. It progresses to a renewed trust in God. And an application for all of us is we can do the same, just lay out all of your concerns, all of your problems, all of your questions before God. Voice your fears. He is not shocked. He already knows what's going on. But he won't be upset with you. He won't be angry. He says, you know, pour out your heart to me. And the Psalms show us how to do this. But after that, get with other Christians. You notice that he has all these questions. And then he says, but I went to your temple." And a lot of times, if we're just by ourselves, we just get deeper and deeper and deeper into a bad attitude or sadness or fears or whatever. But sometimes just showing up for church or a small group, or it doesn't even have to be a specifically church thing. Getting together with another believer, this can greatly, greatly encourage us. Focus on the promises of God. Remind yourself of them and not your troubles. And remember, too, in the New Testament, it says, In everything give thanks. And that's something that the Psalms would echo. It's great advice to get out of the really dreadful situation we're in. Maybe circumstances don't change, but our attitude can change greatly. And we can praise God with the psalmist while we wait for God to do whatever he's going to do to resolve our situation. Whether it's in this life, or if we're disappointed here, we know that it will be resolved in eternity. The next type of psalm are Psalms of Salvation History. This is retelling all or in part the history of Israel and lessons from it. Psalm 107 is a really good example of this, and I'll read you, it's a really long one, I won't read you the whole thing, but I'll read you a good section of it, where it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the land of the foe, those he gathered from the lands from east and west, north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. Some became fools through their rebellious ways, and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. Then their numbers decreased and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste, but he lifted them out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but the wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. And you see this pattern of God promised Israel to deliver them, they sin, he delivered, them, they obey Him, they have blessings, they sin, He punishes them. And this is what the Psalms of of salvation history go through again and again. And an application for us, I think, is to look at our history. Some of our history is probably good, some of it isn't. Mine had both, as probably many of yours do in my own personal history. On the one side, I had a wonderful, wonderful, godly grandmother, a Mennonite heritage. Uh, Mine can be traced back to all sorts of of persecutions, and then going from one nation to another, and then finally settling in America. And my family on the one side knows the entire salvation history, and it's a wonderful, wonderful heritage that I have. And I look back on that, and it gives me something to look up to. And then, on the other side of the family, mmm! not so happy. Um, uh, Alcoholism, disease, a lot of, you know, very difficult and hard things, and that kind of gives me something to watch out for. But looking at our history, I think, can really help us decide the history that we want to leave in our life for those that we love, that we care about. So take some time to evaluate your life. God can always change it. He can always make things better. He can always give give you a well as he promises a future and a hope but It doesn't hurt sometimes to be like the psalmist to look back and to consider that. By the way, that's one of the fewest of uh, types of psalms, so it's not something you want to spend all your time on, but I think it is a good example for us. Now, the next category, this is the one that most people really have problems with, and even if it doesn't bother them, (laughs) they should, because we need to learn how to read these correctly, and that is with what we call the imprecatory psalms. As I said earlier, there's a whole range of emotions in psalms. So, in addition to praying to God for, you know, when we're sad or praising Him when we rejoice, we have imprecatory psalms. And the meaning of that, it means to invoke or call down evil or curses upon a person. And an example of this is Psalm 37, uh, 7 through 9, where it says, Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Is that in the Bible? Um, is that something that God wants us to do, is to just go you know, kill babies and things like that. Well, of course it isn't. This is where we need to really understand the imprecatory psalms and the things that we need to understand about them. Gordon Fee has some really excellent material on this in his book *How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth*. And and let me sort of reword what he says. But he talks about how. Anger is an emotion given to us, and in an, another commentator that I read said that we um, we sometimes think all anger is bad, but it isn't. God, of course, has very righteous anger that is his justified response to sin. Now, of course, those of us that are human, we can't say we are always justified in our anger. So what do we do? We honestly express our anger to, to God, how terrible we feel, how horrible we feel. But here is the important point. You take your anger and hate to God, but you ask Him to deal with the people, and you stay out of it. If you'll read carefully all of these psalms that have these different curses and are calling down bad things, the psalmist always says, God, you do it. God, you do it. You cause this to happen. You cause that to happen. Now, of course, we do not tell God what to do but these psalms tell us it is perfectly okay to express real hurt and anger at what happens. There are a lot of evil things that happen in our world. Sometimes we can do something about them, and and we need to. We are told to defend the weak and the, the fatherless, the alien and the orphan. The Bible again and again says we are to be kind to these people. We are to support them. We are to care for them. But there are many ways that... We, we have to stop with what we're doing. We, we just can't go any farther. Where we personally want to seek revenge or go after someone. And it's hard to know that balance. I know, I know I've, I've experienced it in my life. But there's often a point where we, we can do the positive things. But then when, when we want to veer into where we're the judge and jury, where we're the one who punishes, that's when we take it to God. Let God take care of justice against those who misuse us. That's what the imprecatory Psalms are all about. Sometimes this is the greatest way we can trust God. Because we want evil taken care of. We want it taken care of now. And we would really like it if we could do that. But that's not our call. And I have found in my own life, when I have left something in the hands of God, even if it was really, really hard to do, He takes care of things. And sometimes in a much more creative and, shall we say, strong way than I ever could have thought of. Now, let's look now at just some overall applications for the book of Psalms. Every emotion in our life the good, the bad, the in-between, the Psalms teach us that they're all part of our life lived before God and growing as his disciple. One of the things that the book of Psalms teaches us that is so important is there's really no distinction between the secular and the spiritual in life. Most of the Psalms were written by a man who was a shepherd, he was a soldier, he was a king, he was a warrior, he was an administrator. He was a planner of a building and this whole process of temple worship. The Psalms are not written in a vacuum devoid of life and without any meaning or realism just by some ivory tower uh, person writing nice things about God. No, they are written by people who lived, knowing that there was no distinction between the secular and the spiritual. You see, when we become a Christian, We enter into a new kind of life where God wants to touch and influence and be part of every corner of it. Psalms really show us how to do that. You see this with David's life. Let me give you, let's just go back to him as a specific example. He was constantly writing the Psalms. And what a great contrast with Saul and the other kings who were consumed by jealousy and power and battles and hatreds and connivings all these kind of things. David apparently was just, in every phase of his life, we have Psalms. When he was very young, we have his experiences as a shepherd in Psalm 23, where he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we all love that Psalm. Then, when he had his years, many years of running from Saul, one of the things that he reflects on in Psalm 34, 19, during this time, he says, The righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. And then when he sinned, and he committed adultery, he murdered a man, his son dies, he goes to God and he says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sins. And in between and before and after, he has many psalms of praise, lament. A number of them we have some idea, but many of them we don't know when he wrote them, but we know that his whole life was lived before God in ways that he records for us and that we can learn from and that we can emulate in our life. So finally, a few suggestions. Don't be afraid of any emotion, any question, any fear, any anger in your life. Share them all freely with your God. Read and think about the Psalms, even after this reading schedule. Now, the Psalms is one of the few books that it's okay for you to jump into individual chapters. You can do that any time of the year, any time you want to. You can jump into individual chapters, but you must read the whole psalm. Usually I don't recommend that at all because so many things can be taken out of context of an entire book. But Psalms is different in that way. So you have my permission, not that that means anything. But just read them at any time for your encouragement or to praise or however you want to use them. Consider journaling and consider writing your own psalm. Only you and the Lord have to see it. But when you've gone through a trying time, or a wonderful time, when you have questions, or if you're angry, or the different emotions that you see in psalms, take some time and write it down. Record your questions, your struggles with God, and then be sure to to thank Him and record His answers. And with the psalms, and with everything else that we study, Constantly strive to live your life, all of your life, before God, and in a way that helps you become more and more like Jesus, your Savior. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson. They're in downloadable PDF and written out format on www.bible805.com. And do sign up for the newsletter where I can give you additional recommendations or articles. I've, I've just got to put on there my recommendation for hearing God. It's such a wonderful book. I In the next week or so, I promise I will get that on there. Please share this podcast with your friends and encourage them to read God's Word And now, until next time, I'm Yvonne Prynne, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.